You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. This last week, I had the privilege of ending my tenure of two years as my kids' school's PTA president. Uh, I don't know if you ever knew that. I've been the PTA president for two years at my kids' school. And um, this this was an absolute blast. I had I had a wonderful time um, fulfilling this role, and uh, it was it was it was amazing because we had the job of keeping our PTA strong uh, for the last two years during the pandemic, which was incredibly difficult because parents weren't allowed on campus, uh, we couldn't have as many events, and it was just really hard to do that. And I'm happy to say that we were able to actually I think make it stronger than it actually ever was. Um, but I, I came into this role kind of out of nowhere. I, I believe God had it planned out. I believe he did. But it came out of, out, of, out of nowhere to me because this was something I had never, ever imagined in my life that I would take. Okay? Because what, what happened two years ago is that um, the PTA president was retiring and uh, his term was up and they needed someone else. But of course, during the, during the beginning of the pandemic, everything was all confusion and uh, no one was allowed on campus and everyone wanted to just protect their families. So no one wanted to take this role. And so Ethan's teacher at the time came up to me and said, Brett, I think you'd be a great person to be the PTA president. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Like, when I think of a PTA president, I think of someone who is hyper-involved. And okay, we we had actually, as a family, been inviting parents and and families to our house to have dinner with us, and I was making face shields for the the school, so I I guess I was hyper-involved. Already, so okay, I kind of fulfilled that. But no, 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 no. When you think of a PTA president, you think of like a stay-at-home mom who. Okay, so I'm not a mom, but I am a stay-at-home dad. So I guess I fulfilled that one too. Um, but no, no, no. You think of someone who has like a minivan who. Okay. So I have a minivan. So I guess I kind of fit the mold for a PTA president. I didn't know it, but I did. Um, but uh, it was something still I'd never imagined for myself. And I went in feeling completely terrified, because this was a big job. And I had no idea what to do. They were like, oh, you just have to lead some meetings. I'm like, I've never led these kind of meetings before. I know nothing about Robert's rules of orders and you know, calling for motions and seconds and all that kind of stuff. I, I despise paperwork and legal stuff, and there's a lot of it. I had no idea that PTA is like this national organization that like, is like huge and like, is like lobbying for, for politics and stuff like that even too. I had no idea about all of this. And I just went in there completely unequipped, completely. And, and if I'll be honest, the, the, the president at the time, he went off to do his job and, and his family life, and I honestly like spoke to him once. And so I went in there feeling completely unequipped and completely terrified. I'm happy to say that the team you know, eased me into it and helped me uh, find my way, but it was, it was scary. And sometimes our spiritual lives can feel like that too. You walk into this bigness of Christ, right? You walk into this life where God, the God of the universe, is calling you to something bigger and has more for you. And you're like, what is going on? This is kind of crazy when you think about it. I don't know all the language. I don't know all the lingo. I'm still learning. I'm just me. We can feel unequipped sometimes for our walk with Christ. We can feel unequipped when we are trying to live out our lives with Christ. But the good thing is is that God does not want to leave us unequipped. He wants to give us all the tools that we need to walk with him. And he has equipped us not only just for ourselves, but he wants to give it, uh, he wants to, give it to us in a team. Okay? So I, before we start, if you are sitting by yourself, uh, if you're comfortable, 
can I ask you to scoot towards someone? Just kind of be next to someone, if you can. Okay, or at least have someone around you. Cool, because I, I don't want anyone to be alone, okay? okay. What? Steve's alone? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> okay, before we go any further, I am supposed to remind you, actually Steve was supposed to remind you, <laughs> that the Romeros are not here this week <laughs> because they are at Hillside Church um, in Cameron Park, which is, um, I believe it's a church plant uh, in Placerville. And so they are up there with Hernandez as well, and they are ministering up there. And uh, I believe they had a prophetic training time yesterday, and they're having a grand old time. Um, but be praying for them. Be praying for them because they are ministering um, into uh, kind of a new congregation, and they're, they're going to be um, doing some great work for God there. So that's where they are, if you're asking. What? Do I have to tell them that? I don't think so. Yeah, not that. No. We'll, yeah, we'll worry about that later. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Any more notes for anyone? No? Okay. All right. So we're going to be hanging out today in First Chronicles chapter 22 um, and a few parts of chapter 28. And we're going to be studying one of King David's speeches, okay? Now, King David was the second king of the United Israel nation. Uh, he is known for many things, um, chief among them probably uh, killing Goliath the giant. He replaced the first king, King Saul. He won many major military victories for Israel. And he's also known for dancing naked in the streets for God um, and unintentionally inspiring the early 2000s worship song, Undignified, by uh, Matt Redman. I think it's Matt Redman. I don't know because when I Google searched who wrote it, all the, it is Matt Redman? Okay, because when I Google searched like who wrote this, this worship song, it's like everyone comes up because all the Christian artists just like copy their own music and <laughs> like I couldn't figure it out. But yeah, it's Matt Redman. Uh, anyway, so I'm... I've never seen anyone actually reach the level of King David singing that song, which I'm probably thankful for. But anyways, um, King David is most importantly remembered for being a man after God's own heart. Okay? He was a man after God's own heart. David, in almost everything he did, gave reverence, honor, and glory to God. Now, that didn't mean he was perfect. He had his fair share of sin and failures. But even when he faced those things, he turned to God. He turned repentance to God. He turned his whole life towards God. Okay, so keep that in mind as we're learning today. In 2 Chronicles, David, uh, by this time, uh, has been king for a while. And he's already built a palace. He's already kind of um, given peace to the kingdom. And he, uh, he's, he's uh, gotten the government all set. And he has one more big task that he wants to do. And that is he wants to build the temple of the Lord. He wants to build a house for the Lord. In those days, God's presence rested in the Ark of the Covenant, which was, of course, made famous by Dr. Indiana Jones. Um, David had not yet built this house for, for God yet, and this place where the Ark of the Covenant would rest. Now, we might be a little confused because we're like, why is that necessary, right? Because we know that God's Holy Spirit is with us all the time. Like, he's all around us. Why does he need a physical place? But if we remember that for the Israelite people, this was a big deal. Because God had manifested himself in very specific and amazing ways. Like, if you remember when they were wandering around the wilderness, he was there in a pillar of fire guiding them through the wilderness. And so having a very specific, solid space for God to dwell was the next step. So this temple was very important. And David knew that having God's presence in life was vitally important. Because God, of course, had been with him through every step of his life as well. He understood that this was absolutely paramount for the nation. God's indwelling was vital for Israel. 
So building a temple for God was saying, yes, God is with us, Israel. He's here at the center. He's the most fundamental guiding factor in who we are. He gives us our identity. He gave us his land. He is right here with us. But again, we might ask, why is that important for us? Because we're not building any temples for God. Even if we had a hand in, you know, building a new church, we have to follow, you know, LA building code. That's more important to us than, than like figuring out like why we need to be quit for building a temple. But for us, okay, we're not building physical temples, right? But the Holy Spirit dwells in us now because we are God's temples. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Just as having a physical temple, uh, physical temple building was huge for David and Israel, we have to see the importance of building our own spiritual temples. This is where God wants to dwell, in us. We construct and we craft our lives to be a place where God is going to dwell. And you know, what did we sing? You know, Pat brought out this song that like, brought me back to my, my growing up years. Like, what did we sing? Your holy presence living in me. That's huge. God's holy presence wants to live in us. Okay, when we accept Jesus into our lives, we are saying, yes, Jesus is the center of me, and Jesus has cleansed me, and now I want Jesus to be part of my life forever. I want him to be with me, to dwell with me. Now, obviously, we're not building physical walls for our lives, but for us, our temples, our walls are built up with righteousness, healing, blessing, freedom from sin, faith, grace, patience, fruits of the Spirit. We build our lives up with that. That reflects God's glory. That reflects God's beauty. Just as David wanted to build this beautiful, amazing temple for God to reflect his majesty and beauty, we reflect God's character in what we build in our temples. But to do that, we need to be equipped. To do that, we need to be equipped. Now, David actually reflects the majesty and, and beauty of God um, even before he, he built this temple. Because what happened was, there's a whole story about a census and, and him messing up and repenting, and you can read that in, in um, chapter 21 of First Chronicles. But what ends up happening is he finds the land that he wants to build the temple on. And he actually overpays for this land. Okay? Because the guy who owns the land is saying, basically says, you're the king, and this is for God. You can just have it. Just pay me whatever you feel like it's worth. It's fine. Whatever. Take it. And David says, no, I'm going to pay you the full price. I'm going to pay you the full price for this. And what he's basically saying is that God is worth every penny. God is worth every penny. I'm not going to haggle you down for this. You ever go to like Alvera Street or you go to like, like the, the night markets and people are selling their wares, okay? And you, the, the, the culture is you try to, you know, you haggle a little bit. Kathy is really good at this. She's super good at this because she was raised in that environment. You go in, you try to get the best deal for, that you can, okay? And you're like, no, you just, you just work them down to the bare minimum. <laughs> I am terrible at this because I'm like, no, you're trying to make a living. <laughs> I'm going to give you, what, what's $5? Yeah, that's cool. Take it. That's basically what David was, was like. Like, no, <laughs> whatever, whatever the full price for this land, whatever it's worth, I'm paying it because God is worth every penny. Basically, you know, the old meme, shut up and take my money. <laughs> basically that. Like, he, he basically overpays um, for, for this land because God is worth it, okay? And so David now has a spot he's going to build his temple. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. 
Hey, let's, let's pick up where we're, we're going to start here. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. David gave orders to gather together the aliens, or the, the uh, foreigners, who were residing in the land of Israel. And he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for the building of the house of God. David also provided great stores of iron for nails for the door and of the gates and for clamps, as well as bronze in, qu in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar logs without number, for the Sidonians and the Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. And then you might expect that the text would say something like, and then David laid the cornerstone of the temple and sacrificed to the Lord, and the workers began their great project. But no, then scripture throws us a little curveball. Verse 5, for David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house has to be, that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorified throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparations for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. So wait a minute. David wanted to build this temple, but now it says that Solomon, his son, is going to build the temple instead. Huh. David's going to supply the goods, but Solomon is going to be the chief builder. He's going to get the credit for this. Why? And thankfully, we as readers don't have to wait long to find out why. Because in verse 6, it says, Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had planned to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood in, the, in my sight on the earth. See, a son shall be born to you. He shall be a man of peace. I will give him peace from all enemies of every side. For his name shall be Solomon. I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be a son to me, and I will be a father to him, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, if I were David, I would probably be a little disappointed when I heard this. And like, he's the man for God's own heart. You know, he did so much for God. And, you know, he, he had his heart after God, and he had won so many victories. He expanded Israel's land. Why shouldn't he be the one to build the temple? He was a good king overall. But God basically told him, you are those things, but you were a man of violence. You did wage a lot of wars. In my name, Sure. But you've shed a lot of blood. And that's not basically who God is. He wanted a man of peace to build the temple. If this was going to be God's dwelling place, if this was going to be God's house, he wanted it to be represented by a man of peace. And I think that's so interesting because, you know, a lot of times we see in, in our society today, there's, there's, there's violence, right? There's, there's been a lot of violence lately. And you can even see some of that violence creeping up in church culture. It's a little weird. And here we have God basically saying, no, chief among my character here, peace, rest, shalom. This is who I want to build my house. But anyways, if I were David, I would be a little upset because I've been ramping up my life for this. Like, like I knew this was going to happen. I, 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 I solidified the nations. I killed a giant. I did all these things for God. And now I'm going to build a house for him. You ever have something like that happen to where, like, you're really looking forward to something, and then it just gets cut short at the last minute? Right? It's really disappointing. A couple weeks ago, 
I was very much looking forward to going to Star Wars Celebration, which is a Star Wars convention, the biggest, the official Star Wars convention. And you know, there had been no Star Wars conventions for the last like two years because of the pandemic. And it finally came, came around. They were going to open again. It was in Anaheim. It's right here. I wanted to go. I was going to bring my kids. This was their first big Star Wars convention. And we were going to cosplay the, the asteroid field from Empire Strikes Back. Okay? What, what, what I did was I bought a, a plastic, um, you know those big plastic rocks that you put over sprinkler systems to cover them up in backyards? I bought one of those, and I, I cut it open. And then we 3D printed a giant uh, space slug. Remember the space slug that comes out and tries to eat the Millennium Falcon? Um, and, and I was going to walk around with this on my head. And I put little asteroid rocks and, and TIE fighters around it. It was amazing. And the kids would walk around in, in a Princess Leia in Millennium Falcon, and Ethan was going to wear a TIE fighter outfit. And this was going to be awesome, because it was me so cute. And uh, people would love it. And the week ahead, Addy got pink eye. I'm like, OK. You got to get better, girl. <laughs> And she did get better. And then Wednesday rolls around, and then Ethan got pink eye. Oh, man. Like, OK, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? Thursday comes around. I'm going to keep me home from school. Better be safe. He's still coughing. Friday rolls around. Nope, still not better. OK, Saturday. That's the day we're going to go. He wakes up. All right, Ethan, how you feeling? <coughs> like, oh, we could go. It's not COVID. We could go, but it's probably not the best idea. OK. So we stayed home. And it was kind of a bummer, right? Because we were really looking forward to this. Um, I, I will say that the next day, Ethan was better. And we, do, we went for the last two hours after church. Okay? We got to go for a little while. Um, but that Saturday, with the big day that we were going to go, we were, we were pretty sad about it. Okay? And I think David probably felt some of that, right? He probably felt pretty bummed. I'm like, wow, OK, I really wanted to build this temple for you, God, but now I'm not. Okay? And when we feel those emotions, oftentimes it can cause negative actions. So David might have an option here. Was he going to lash out at God? Was he going to be angry at God? No. David was a man after God's own heart. And he knew he had to get his priorities straight. He said, all right, fine. If I'm not going to build this thing, and it's my son who's going to build this thing, I'm not going to yell at God. I'm not going to cry about it. What am I going to do? I need to prepare my son for the task. I need to prepare my son for the task. Because what is more important? Having God's presence in our nation. I can whine and cry about all I want. But no, this temple needs to get built. And if God wants my son to do it, fine. I'm going to prepare him for the task. He wants to prepare him. And church, that is so important. That is so important for us. Because we have to know that there's going to be times when, you know, people... We find jealousy and, and, and rivalry in the church these days so much. It's, it's really weird. But church, we're a team. We are a team. We are on team Jesus. That's why I want you to be with someone today. Okay? Because you are not alone. You are not alone. You've been put here at RLA for a reason. And of course, we're part of the larger church. Okay? We are not alone as a church. We are part of a universal church. It is an amazing thing. We are a team. If you don't get anything else from today, I want you to know that we are a team. Okay, so he wants to prepare his son. He wants to prepare his son. Now, you may think, of course, that, okay, he's his dad. Of course he's going to prepare his son, right? That's what dads do. That's what they're supposed to do. But that illustrates to us that, yeah, it's what you're supposed to do. But that's what we're supposed to do. 
But sure, I'm not your dad, but we are family. We're not just a team, but we're family. And families work together. And families equip each other. We need to build each other up. The Bible is very clear about this. Too, too often, Christians try to walk their life alone, especially in America, because we have this whole idea that we're supposed to pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps, and we're supposed to do everything ourselves. I have to do it. It's my job to do it. But no, that's not the way that God designed us to be. God designed us to be in team. God designed us to be a family. Iron sharpens iron. We influence each other. Discipleship. We are interrelated. We shape each other and influence each other, and we help each other grow. This is what it's supposed to be like. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to provoke or spur each other on to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is David's intent for Solomon, to encourage Solomon and equip him with what he needs to successfully build the temple and eventually rule the Israelite nation so that God may truly be present with them. And so for us, as we build our temples together, we need to help each other grow. And so that's what I want to study today. What is King Jesus going to equip his son with? And how can we then apply that to how we equip each other and how God wants to equip us? This is what the church could be. A set of called and loved people who live for God and live for each other. Wanting the best for each other. Sharpening each other. Working together. King David wanted to see his son succeed in the kingdom. Do we want that for each other. Okay, so let's continue. First Chronicles 22, uh, verse 10. David is still reminding, uh, I'm going to read this verse again. He's still reminding uh, Solomon of what the Lord was saying about him. Okay, this is verse 10. He shall build, uh, he, Solomon, shall build a house for my name. He shall be a son to me, God, and I will be a father to him, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God, as he has spoken concerning you. So David's first equipping for Solomon is a reminder that Solomon, you are in relationship with God. That's the first thing he equips him with. Solomon, you are in relationship with God. And what does God say about him? I'm going to be your father, and you are going to be my son. That's the first thing David reminds him of that God said to him. And that's kind of amazing because After all, David's his his biological father. That doesn't negate that, of course. But he is reprioritizing Solomon's identity. Like, you're you're my son, absolutely, and I love you. But God is your heavenly father. That is the first big thing. God is your father. You are his son. And then what does he say? The Lord be with you. He is going to be with you. Of course, that's represented in the temple, right? You're going to build him a place. But Even before you build it, the Lord is with you. And that's so vitally important for him to know that he is not alone. Because if you're ruling a nation, as they say, it's lonely at the top, right? You've got big responsibilities. That's a lot of stress to know that the Lord is with you. That's huge. That is huge for him. David's, uh, and this will, of course, help him succeed, right? uh, It'll help him build the temple. David's definition of success is contingent on God being with Solomon. The presence of the Lord in Solomon's life is absolutely tantamount for him. Because David knows this firsthand, again, that yes, God must be with you. David understands the sweetness, the goodness of God's presence, and he wants his son to experience that as well. Do we know that 
Our Heavenly Father is with us. Do we know that? And do we know that we are sons and daughters of the King? Do we know that? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God is with you. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are a son or daughter of God. You have to pick which one. I hope that, I hope that wasn't too hard to choose, son or daughter. <laughs> and then he speaks to Solomon and says, God has spoken over you. God has spoken over you. He's encouraging Solomon. And he says, look, he has words for you. You are on God's mind. You're on his heart. He has great things for you. You're going to be a man of peace and wisdom to be the one who builds God's house. And that encourages his son to say, Solomon, you're chosen for this. And being chosen, knowing your purpose, knowing that God has you on his mind, how utterly reassuring. That's got to blow some wind in his sails. When you have this reality in your mind and your heart that God is with you, you are a son or daughter, and that he has you on his mind, that changes reality. Because you're not just a nobody. You are someone in God's eyes. God absolutely cares about who you are. Now, obviously, you know, we are not building temples again, okay? and we're not literal princes or princesses, but... The word does call us chosen and royal, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, this is all of us, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And Romans 8, Romans 8 calls us co-heirs with Christ. We are royalty. We are spiritual royalty in God's kingdom. And knowing this beautiful truth that God is with us, that we are chosen, God has us on his mind. That's amazing for us. That is amazing for us. What has God spoken over your life? Have you had words of encouragement, prophecy spoken over you? A couple years ago, or actually a few years ago now, it's been a while, a while um, I, got, I had a word spoken over me here uh, during one of our prophetic training times. And it was that I'd be able to lead, and through my leading, people would be able to follow Jesus easily. I was like, wow, that is a word that I've kept in my heart for years now, and I expect it to be there for the rest of my life. Because that's huge for me. That is absolutely huge for me as a pastor to say, yes, you can help people follow Jesus, and it'll be easy for them. Okay, I love that. That blows huge winds in my sails, to know that God says that about me. What has God said over you? And if you haven't had anything spoken over you, if you haven't experienced that, Maybe it's time to ask God. Ask God. What do you see about me? How do you, how do you see me, God? Okay. And that's what we can do for each other as well. That's what we can do for each other as well. David spoke it over God. Or I'm sorry, he spoke it over Solomon. He spoke it over him. We have the ability to speak truth and life over each other. And that's who we want to be, RLA. That's who we want to be, to grow in this prophetic nature. To be able to say, yes, I'm hearing from God about you, my brother or sister. This is what the Lord says about you. Turn to your neighbor and says, the Lord has stuff to speak about you. And if you have a word, go ahead and give it. I mean, if you have one right now, I mean, go for it, okay? Or afterwards, it's fine. Okay? This is good. It's a good thing to speak it over each other. We need to know that we are seen. Our souls need to hear this. Okay, with all the noise and distractions and lies that we hear 
from our culture, from everywhere else, to know that the Lord, the God of heaven, has us on his mind and wants to speak to us. We need to hear that shine through. And again, sometimes that can be tough because of all that noise. And so we as the church have the duty to then say, okay, you may be distracted right now. You might not be able to hear it right now. But I want to let you know. And let, we can let our voices burn through all that other stuff so that we can hear the truth about ourselves, the truth that God wants to give us. David wanted to equip Solomon with that, and we can equip that for each other. 1 Chronicles 22, verse 12. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding so that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law, uh, keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and ordinances that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Solomon was more than a glorified contractor. He was not just going to build the temple. He was going to be king. And that is a huge, huge job. And here's the thing about being a king, of course. You have to make decisions. You have to act. You have to, you have to, you have to walk the walk. And Solomon's going to have a lot of decisions to make. He's going to have a lot of action to take. Now, God had already said, hey, I've got you on my mind. You're going to be a man of peace. There's going to be peace in your kingdom. You're not going to be fighting like your dad was. If you were Solomon, you'd be like, that sounds great. Cool, I'm just going to sit back. God said it. We're going to be land of peace. Sounds good to me. I'm going to sit back and eat some grapes. Something like that. But no, he's going to have to act. And I think David is implying here that, look, Solomon, there's action to be taken. God has called you. God has given you a lot. But now God is asking your participation. And this is the biblical pattern that we have to understand, that we cannot just sit back in our walks with, with Jesus. Okay? We cannot just come to church and sit and enjoy worship service and then go home. There is life to be lived. There is action to be taken. God asks our participation. This is the biblical pattern, whether we like it or not. Okay? This is the biblical pattern. If we want the full depth of what God has for us. And, and David is implying that for Solomon. Yeah, there is going to be action you need to take. And to get there, to have the best action, you need to find discretion and understanding and wisdom. You need to have all of that. And you have to seek it out. God is asking our action. We have to take action. God is the one who, of course, gives us salvation, right? He gives it to us. We can do nothing to earn that. We can do nothing to gain salvation. That is from the Lord. That is a gift for us. But... Then he asks our participation. We have to act. We have to act. There are decisions for us to be made. Now, then he of course says, yes, and you need understanding and discretion. Okay? In a sense, Solomon, you need wisdom. You need wisdom if you're going to rule this nation. And that is the same for us. David is basically praying over, his, over Solomon. I'm praying that God gives you what you need. God gives you the wisdom that you need. And that's for us too, that we need to find wisdom, that we need to grow, that we can't be just stagnant in our lives. There is stuff for us to grow into, and we need to be equipped for that. Are we praying for each other? Are we seeking each other out? Are we seeking counsel? Are we, are we um, getting advice from other people? Because we have blind spots, right? We all have blind spots, and we can find ourselves in discouragement. We can find ourselves stuck in ruts, and we, we may not know what to do. This morning, I honestly, I, I honestly was like in a, in a rut this morning for my preach. And I walked in the office, 
And Steve was there. And he was like, oh, how are you doing with your preach? I'm like, not good. <laughs> I'm not feeling so good about this right now. And immediately, he prayed over me. He prayed over me. And gave me wisdom. And gave me encouragement. And he gave me discernment. A little bit of new word for this message. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That we can do that for each other. That we can grant each other understanding. That we can help each other see another point of view. That we can help each other see God when we can't see him ourselves. We can do that for each other. God wants to equip God wants to equip Solomon with that, and he wants to give us that as well. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need some understanding. <laughs> Not in a mean way. We have to have the right understanding. We have to be willing to seek God, right? Because our actions are going to be contingent upon what's inside, right? Matthew 12, 34 says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think it's, it's safe to say, for out of the abundance of the heart, our actions follow. What is inside? We have to ask ourselves, what is inside? Are we going to seek wisdom? And we can seek it from each other. Now, to his credit, Solomon is famous for being wise, right? In 1 Kings 3.9, uh, he asked God for wisdom. It says this, Solomon says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? So he follows his dad's advice. Okay, I'm going to go find wisdom. I'm going to come wise. God wants to equip us with wisdom. 1 Chronicles 22, 13. David says to his son, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Obviously, a ruling, ruling a kingdom, building a temple is not an easy job. Again, it's a big, big job. And David wants to remind his son, do not be afraid. But really, how could you not? It's, it's a big job, right? You are, you are overseeing a whole lot of people. It is big. And I think what this illustrates is that David knows and understands that this job is scary. He's been doing it for years. There have been some big challenges. Solomon, this job can be complex. It'll take guile. It'll take wisdom. You need God for this. And, you know, Scripture basically said, Solomon, you're young and inexperienced. Okay. I don't think David is saying there's nothing to be afraid of, right? He's not quite saying that. But what he's saying is that, Solomon, there needs to be an emotional shift in you, a mindset shift in you to make. David would be the first to acknowledge that, yes, there are some scary things ahead. But the mindset I want you to have, Solomon, is be strong and of good courage. Do not be dismayed. David would be the first... Oh, I already said that. Huh. Um, the, word, the Hebrew word for dismayed also means shattered. It means shattered. So in a sense, David is saying, do not let your fear shatter you. Don't break under your fear. Don't fall apart under the pressure. It's amazing sometimes that when we fear, it can either cause us to break and shut down or break and then act out of like emotional angst. Like we act out of our own emotions and just explode. I think David is saying, be steady. Do not fear. Have courage have the courage to act. Don't stand still under your fear. Don't break under the fear. That's incredible advice from a son, for a son. That's incredible advice for a leader. That's incredible advice for us. We have to know that the road towards building our temples can be tough. There are going to be obstacles. Our cultures, public pressure, peer pressure, sometimes family pressure, lies that we've been told, traumas we've endured, guilt out of our past. 
temptations, worries, doubts, and Satan himself, they're all vying to knock us down, to derail us from our faith. They can cause fear. That can be scary. We can't just pretend they don't exist because they're going to happen. Okay? We, we can't just be ignorant about that. But we also shouldn't be surprised and shocked then when they happen. Because when that happens and then we suddenly feel fear, and then we're supposed to say, like, oh, well, do not fear? Well, wait a minute. I wasn't supposed to feel fear, but I felt fear. Does that mean I'm bad? Does that mean I'm sinful? Well, no, because that's a normal part of human life, right? That, that's a normal emotion that crops up. But the question is, do we let it paralyze us? Do we let it shatter us? Okay? Feeling those things, I don't think is wrong, because that's normal. But letting it control us, that's the question. Are we going to be instead be able to say, I'm going to give this fear to you, God. I know it's real, but I don't have to be afraid because you are with me. I don't have to be afraid because you're going to grant me wisdom. I don't have to be afraid because you are going to equip me for this battle. Can we use that same discretion and understanding to navigate through our fears? Because God is with us. God wants to equip us with courage. God wants to equip us to live through our fears. Tell your neighbor, you do not have to be afraid. Solomon told that to his son. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. We can do that for each other. Amen, church? Now, thus far, David has equipped Solomon, I would say, emotionally and spiritually, which is an amazing legacy for a gift uh, and for his son. Now, Solomon would say, well, that's all well and good, Dad, but I still have a temple to build, and I'm going to need some stuff. Hey, but remember, David had already been gathering workers and gathering materials. David understood that this temple needed to be built, and there was a tremendous resource, uh, a lot of resources that were going to be necessary. And, he, and again, he says this, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 14, With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing. For there is so much of it. Timber and stone, too, I have provided. To these you must add more. You have an abundance of workers, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of artisans, without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Now begin the work, and the Lord be with you. So he doesn't just kind of leave him to do it himself. He says, nope, I'm going to equip you, Solomon, with most of the resources that you're going to need. You're going to have to add some of it. Okay? You've got to do some of the work, too. But I'm going to give you a big head start. He equips him for success. David is willing to use his own resources, even though... He's not going to see the temple. He's not going to be the one ruling the nation pretty soon. He knows this. But he's going to give out of what he has for Solomon. David is willing to pay the cost because he values his son, because he values his people, and because he values God. He's looking beyond himself. And not only that, he then says, Solomon, you're going to have a team. First Chronicles 22, verse 17, David also commanded, Danny, I'm skipping to the bottom here, sorry, uh, Danny, Danny, <laughs> David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon, help his son, saying, is not the Lord your God with you? Has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Go and build the sanctuary of the Lord so that the Ark of the Covenant and the, the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into the house built for the name of the Lord. He wants to equip his son physically. 
with resources, and with a team. And that's all of us. Are we willing to be a team? Are we willing to even use our own resources for each other? David was willing. He wasn't going to see the temple. He wasn't going to be ruling. This is for them. This is for his son. This is for God. He had his mind on the long view, not just himself. We have to have that mindset as well. Now, we may be saying, okay, David was rich. He was a king. Uh, he's got a lot. I don't have that much. Sure. We may not be overflowing with money. We may not have everything. But, again, he equipped him emotionally as well. Are we willing to take our time? Those people that he commanded to, to uh, help him? Okay, yes, he commanded them, and they were, had to obey the king. Sure. Okay, for us, we have a choice to make. Are we going to work with each other? Are we going to work with each other and help build our temples together? Are we going to do that? Now, sometimes it may take finances. Okay? We have to be willing for that. That, hey, if someone in our church, if someone in our neighborhood is struggling, can't put food on the table, can't pay rent, we may be called to do that. We may be called to give. We may be called to be charitable. But we can also just give of our own time, of our own emotional energy, a listening ear, encouragement. Those are all things that God may want us to give as well. Turn to your neighbor and give them a dollar. No, don't do that. God wants us to be a team. Yeah, anyone want to give me a dollar? Yeah. <laughs> God wants us to be a team. And that is going to have a cost. There's going to be a cost. And so many times we don't want there to be a cost. Because we've become very good as a church culture. Uh, not, not here, I'd say. But I'd say in the last few decades, we've become really good about saying, Jesus' love is free. God's love is free. Salvation is free. And it is. It is. It's a free gift from God. That's nothing we can do to earn it. It came from God. It's wonderful. It is. But then we just kind of leave it there. And it's almost like a bait and switch. <laughs> it's like, yeah, God's free. <laughs> and then we don't talk about the rest. We don't talk about how God wants to bring us deeper. We don't talk about how God has growth for us, has transformation with us. And by the way, when you get to that stuff, that part actually isn't free. There's a cost. That's the tough part. That's the challenging part. And sometimes we don't talk about that. And what that can lead to is very surface-level Christianity. So we're just kind of walking along the surface. Jesus is my Savior. Yay. That's, that's fine. But God wants us to go deeper. God wants us to build huge, beautiful temples for him, full of righteousness, full of growth, transformation. That kind of sounds wonderful, but do we really want it? Like, yeah, yeah, God, God, I'll, I'll take you as my Lord and Savior. Beautiful, yes, I'm all in. But, oh, you want to transform my deepest sin? I've got to look at that? I don't know about that. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. That's easy. Sure, okay. But now I have to go forgive other people, especially that guy that I hate? Oof, that's a little tougher. God, you've given so much to me. You're my provider. Yay. But now you're asking me to go serve the poor? Oh, that's a little more challenging. There's a cost. Are we willing to see the cost? Are we willing to actually invest? Do we see the beauty of the Lord? Do we see what our lives could look like? David saw it. He knew that there was a cost. 
he knew that he needed to invest, and he was willing to do it. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, Philippians 3, 8 through 10. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on, on faith. There's a cost. Are we willing to pay it? Are we willing to endure? Are we willing to invest? Paul endured hardship after hardship because he knew the value of knowing Christ Jesus. David knew the cost of building a temple and was willing to pay it because he understood the value of having God's presence. Do we see that? Are we willing to pay that cost? God wants to equip us. God wants to take us deeper. Are we willing to go there? Or are we just going to stay on the surface? Here's the other thing. If we're not willing to see it for ourselves, are we willing to see it for each other? That's a deeper question. Because sure, okay, for my benefit, for my growth, I can do it. But what about for each other? Do we actually see each other as family? Are we actually willing to say, yeah, you are valuable too. And I want to see you go farther. I want to see you go farther. We have the saying here, and I'm, I'm sure other people are saying that, you know, we want our kids to go farther than us. Okay? Um, just to brag on my niece, Jennifer, okay? she's going to UCLA. Okay? And uh, this is huge because she's the first in, well, I mean, she's the only one in her, technically her family, but, um, but um, she, let me just say, she, she's going to go far. God has big things for her. Now, if you look at rankings of schools, everything, I went to UC San Diego, and UCLA is technically bigger than that. <laughs> okay, it's like known as a better school. And like, oh, she's going farther than me. But I don't just want her to go to a better school. I want to see her go far to the place where God has for her. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I want her to go farther than me. That's not always the mindset that we have as humans because we think about ourselves first. God wants our hearts to be for others. This is not a competition. I'm not trying to be farther than you. I want you to maximize your potential in the kingdom. I want you to find what God has for you. And no matter how we measure that, that's not what's important. I don't want to measure that. I don't even know how you can measure that. Some people want to say, like, oh, yeah, I want to preach to thousands, okay? Uh, there's this one pastor I heard of that he bought up the names of, 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 of this church brand. That I, I won't mention it, which one it is. But he, there's this church brand, and he bought up the names of all the local towns because he said, I want this to all be mine. I want to be the next, like, big pastor here. I, I, I get the heart. I get the heart. But there's just something that's kind of struck me about that. It's like, that's really more about you. That exists in the church. Sort of one-upmanship. That it's for me. I want to make my name in lights. But that temple was God's house. God's name in lights. Jesus' name in lights. I want to see Jesus' lights, Jesus' lights for you guys. 
Do we want that for each other? For it doesn't matter what size my light is, but you, I want to see you go far. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to equip you. So if you need my help, I want to be here for you. And I hope that as a church, we can say, if you need my help, my neighbor, my brother and sister, if you need my help, if I can equip you, if I can give you something that's going to further your walk with God, here it is. Open book. Open arms. I want you to have it. Can we have that? That same heart that David had for Solomon. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the bigness of the kingdom. God, I pray that you would help us see that there is beauty and wonder and growth to be had. God, I pray that we would seek it out, that we would not just stand still, because God, you have more for us. And God, I pray for us as a church that we would know that you've put us here for a reason, that you've given us each other, each one of us in this room, each one of us has a purpose, our own purpose for ourselves and for each other. God, help us see each other as a team. Help us be willing to equip each other. Help us to sharpen each other, to grow with each other. Thank you, God, that you do not leave us alone. Thank you, God, that you've saved us not just for heaven, but for life here. And that this life here together can be a wonderful, beautiful journey. And that each one, I'm so thankful for each one of my brothers and sisters here. I'm so thankful. I pray, Lord, that you would cultivate that culture with us. We pray in your son's name. Amen. All right. So, church, there, we're, we're done. <laughs> but I think as we've learned, life is together. Life is together. Okay? If you have to go home, if you have stuff to do, I get it. Sure. But this is the opportunity. Go have lunch with someone. Go hang out. Go learn about each other. Go get to know each other better. Go sharpen each other. This is our task. Be in contact with each other during the week. We live in an age where it's so easy now. We can text each other. We're on Facebook Messenger. We're on we have all these ways to contact each other. Okay? Yeah, I know. Facebook Messenger. I just dated myself. <laughs> right? Yeah, who uses Facebook anymore, right? Whatever. Okay? But we have so many ways to contact each other. Be with each other. Even during the week. You are not alone. Okay? Go out there. Let's be a family. Uh, oh, yeah, if, and if you are going to the welcome to family, like that segue, okay, if you're going to the like or the welcome to family, uh, we are going to be starting in half an hour, okay, and I think there's a little confusion about where it is, uh, if it's upstairs or downstairs, but wherever we're setting up tables, go there. Yeah. Okay, have a great week, everybody.